you want to give me a little information about yourself? Yeah. Um, my name is Marcus Lee. Uh, my birthday is April 10th, 1992. My social security I don't want to know that. That's okay. <laughs> Marcus, don't say that. It's not. Okay. I, I'm not going to lie. I did my prep before doing this show. And Eleni mm-hmm. nailed it. You got it. She joked about giving out her social security number. Right. And I decided as a funny bit, I would have one just ready to go. So those are all numbers in my social security number. <laughs> and it, I didn't Don't. just say it backwards. No, it's fine. You won't be able to figure it out. <laughs> 601 is a real thing, though. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't even know what people do when they get your social security card information. They steal your identity. <sighs> Which is, like, ironic, because that's exactly what you just found. Yeah. yeah. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Oh, I want to be done with this. Um, oh. Yeah, go ahead. So, steal my identity. Put me in more debt. No, it's, it's fine. I don't care. So, um, you live in Fort Collins, Colorado. I do. I do. Okay. I live sort of by, uh, sort of by the campus. Um, but, yeah, I am a... I'm a music director and a musician, and I do some graphic design, and I do some video editing, and I do some social media marketing, and some sort of like brand voice stuff, a lot of things online, a lot of creative stuff. Instrument gear aside, I really consider myself a minimalist. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when I got dressed this morning, I was like, oh no, that's... That's what I wore yesterday. Kind of different clothes, but it looked exactly the same. And I was like, okay, we'll wear the same outfit, throw on a red flannel. Um, this is great for the people listening to know right. what I'm wearing. Right. Um, and it helps them paint a picture. Yeah, of who you paint are, a picture. So. I am, yeah. Why, why a minimalist? Quote Be, unquote. Because I, it's not that I don't see value in having stuff. Yeah. It's just not. I think the less things that you can make yourself care about, the more you can care about other things. Mm. Like you, so you're not spreading your, you're not spreading yourself so thin. Like people talked about like Steve Jobs or or some of those people that are like, yeah, they wake up and put on the same thing like pretty much every day, and it just it lessens the decisions that you have to make throughout the day. Um, it's the same thing with like the president. Like basically, someone dresses him every day. Yeah. It, sure, it looks like every president for a thousand years has just worn navy blue or black suits, but somebody is more or less picking that out for them. And it's shown, like, even in, like, court cases of when a judge starts out in the morning, you get more and more harsher convictions as the day goes on because you just get fatigued. Yeah, decision fatigue. Um, yeah. And uh, some of it is for very vain reasons, especially with clothes, because I was like, everybody ever has been like, oh, yeah, when I look at pictures of myself from however many years ago, I'm like, oh, why would you do that? And I was like, if you just wear all black all the time, I'm not going to have that thought starting in 2012. And then I'll be, then I'll be good. Then it's like, be nope, fine. I've looked the same for 40 years. <laughs> all black and you're good. Yeah. It's a no fail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Do you want to give me a little bit of background of, um, so I know it's, I know what you do, but do you want to give me a little bit of background of some of your philosophies on life and why are you so interested in art and music? Yeah. And, um, how haven't you died out on that? (laughs) Because art and like photography and music and stuff, that stuff, it's really easy to burn out. 
living in that kind of world. Yeah, for sure. Um, my sort of earliest entrances into like, it really, um, music and movies kind of came at the same time for me. As a kid, I would watch The Lion King on repeat to where like it's, I feel like for a few years, it might have been the only movie I watched and I watched it every day. And I loved the music in that. Disney just became a huge part of my life. And I, th- I think that's true for a lot of people that grew up in that sort of golden age of Disney movies where it was, aside from The Lion King, like Alan Menken did all the scores for all those movies. Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. Um, mm. I think he did Hunchback and Aladdin and... I don't know. There's a number of them. He won like eight Academy Awards mm-hmm. for music and stuff like that. But yeah, so that's where the love of music, I think, kind of came from. My mom sang a little bit as I was a, when I was a kid, but I remember like anytime we were in the car, the radio was always on and we were always singing to it. And on long drives, we'd play Name That Tune and we'd just scan through the radio. And for years and years, until I was in like middle school, I just, I would always lose because I was like, I'm these songs came out when you were a kid. I've never heard these. But yeah, so when I was maybe like five or six years old, I started taking drum lessons from this guy and I just loved it. I always wanted to be like a cool guitar player guy, but I thought, oh, I'm going to have to learn how to read music. And that looks really daunting and scary. Turns out you don't have to be able to read music to play guitar. And I don't know any guitar players personally that do read music. I can't do it. Like for notes. Yeah, 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 like notation. I can't do it even a, a little <laughs> bit. And I have somehow tricked so many people into letting me be paid to play music places. Yeah, like if you have the feeling for it and you have the ear for it, you understand what they want without having, without doing it the way they want it. Yeah. And being able to like ad lib and just go off of the groove and go off of the situation and mm-hmm. go off the melody and like improvise off the melody notes and even if you have a good ear for it you can still do that without even knowing yeah. the melody yeah it's a, a really great thing to have is what's called relative pitch so i don't have perfect pitch i know like two people that do one of them is just incredibly like high functioning autistic and he just has perfect really? pitch and it's not fair and then the other guy just trained himself to have perfect pitch it's just from years and years really? of going over and he'd play a note on the piano and then he'd watch TV and, and wait like 10 minutes until that sort of, the pitch went away like from a sort of consciousness. And then he would try to like hum that note and then go back and play it and see how close he was. And so he's trained himself to have perfect pitch. Relative pitch, um, like I'm, I'm playing tonight, which I'm sure it will have long since been over after this has come out. But I'm playing tonight with some people. I don't have a ton of time to learn this music because I got it yesterday. But even just knowing the key... And then there's a whole number system that musicians will use. So it's like, I don't have to know specifically what chord it is. I can listen to it and know if here is like where the root note is, you know, everything is relative from there. And as long as I know the key, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I kind of joke, it's the only thing that I'm good at. So I'm really? glad I'm pretty good at it. I, I mean, I've heard your, I've heard the stuff you've, you've produced and made mm-hmm. and recorded with my sister. And it's to this day, some of the best music I've ever 
heard and like it's like it's like not even an exaggeration like literally i'm like maddie did you guys release anything yet maddie when is it gonna come out maddie can you please just send me an audio file so i can just listen to it i promise i won't show anyone because it's like literally i crave it oh my god because it's that new and relevant and intricate and well done thank you you know what i mean like it's like there's music it's like there's clothes and then there's designer clothes Mm mm-hmm like, you just, like, when something's a cut above, instantly you can recognize it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my God, nothing else works. Sorry. You know what I mean? Man, so if I wasn't so... black, I'd be blushing so hard right now. <laughs> 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 but anyway, that goes to say, like, when it comes out, I want to be the first person that knows. So. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be sure to give you some some sneak previews Sweet. and stuff. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be cool. That'd be Herks awesome. of being family members of people that sang on it um but yeah as far as sticking with it i think some of it just came from like at a young age thinking this is what i want to do and sort of not giving myself other options so like when i went to school i was actually studying to be a spanish translator so i was like even if you speak spanish at all not that much anymore it's been a minute i was in mexico like two years ago and even just being there for you know, 12 days or whatever, it comes back to you pretty quickly, right. especially when you're just totally inundated by it. But yeah, I was going to school thinking, oh, I'll just be like a Spanish translator and I'll make pretty good money and I can do music on the side. Mm-hmm. Really thinking the odds of this music thing working out are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. I should make sure that I have a real job. And that was always such a huge fear because I kind of like grew up in a small town where a lot of people just you, you graduate school, you work some boring job that you don't care about, and then one day you die. And that was, like, my biggest fear, being, it sounds awful, but just, like, being a person that achieved nothing and didn't have any impact and almost, right. like, not to say that they don't matter, but I, I wanted to have some sort of lasting effect on anything. And so... Like, you didn't want to... You don't want to be one of the people who lives a life of quiet desperation. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to just be discontent forever. Yeah. And so I dropped out of school. Way to go. Um, yeah. Like all great success stories. <laughs> I dropped out of college. Yeah, I dropped out of college. I did not drop out of high school. <laughs> Finished your high school yeah. degree. But like all great success stories, college wasn't for me. No. <laughs> I remember the first time that I was ever on stage playing music, and I was like... This this is it. Mm. This is what yeah. I need to do all the time. And then I remember my first day at college thinking, this is not going to be a good use of anybody's time. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew almost immediately, this is not for me. But I tried to stick it out for like like a year and a half. Right. And, I yeah, I just sort of realized, like, I am paying somebody thousands of dollars to pursue my plan B. And I was like, well, if I drop out, music stuff better start working out or I won't be able to eat or pay rent. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just did what I had to do. And you just, you write and you write. And, like, I don't, it's not like I'm a great songwriter or producer, but it did feel like one day I woke up and was like, I was trying to write on this project with, uh, with a friend of mine. And I was like, okay, I think I got, like, my last really bad idea out and then I like I just it just felt like like growth and then yeah just 
I think the way to avoid burnout is to just you have to define you have to define what success is or you will always go through your life unsatisfied. So even like like I totally nailed five years ago, I totally nailed my five year goal. Yay. Yeah. Way to go. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Somebody was like, Oh, where do you see yourself in five years? I was like, I didn't really know that like a, a music director, an M D, like a band leader. I didn't know that if you weren't the roots, like that's still a job that you could have. Um, and I was like, I think I would really want to do that. And I, and I'm doing that now. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. It was crazy. That's so um, sweet. But yeah, if you, you have to define expectations because if success to you is, I want a big three record, hundred million dollar recording deal on a big Tiger Woods check. And I want to shout, I made it from the top of a mountain. If that is your idea of success, like most people will go through their lives then just being a, a stunning failure because that, that right. doesn't really happen. But if your goal can be, I want to have a measurable amount of success. I want to have a, a tangible thing mm-hmm. that I can track growth and see, am I close to progressing to it? And then you do it and, you know, you go get sushi afterwards with like three people and you're like, guys, guess what? I hit my goal. Mm-hmm. That's great. You feel on top of the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, have measurable success and defining your expectations are amazing. Like even with this whole film thing, my idea initially of success for it was like, maybe Netflix will lowball me and I'll get like $800,000 for a two year holding deal. Right. That was like a realistic thing. thing. But yeah, setting goals that you can reach, like not super safe goals. Otherwise, there's there's no point. I don't know that I really answered your question, but those are some thoughts that I have. Those are good. It's a lot of word soup there. Dude, it's fine. Like sometimes those are when you get the best pieces of information, not only into someone's character, but into their view of life (laughs) and how they've achieved the things they've achieved through that mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think the goal thing is so important because especially now, young kids, it's so easy to make a conventional goal. Like, I want to be rich. Okay. The other thing is to pick a goal that is measurable, but it's for the wrong reason. Because you think attaining that measurable goal will achieve the emotional goal you really want to succeed in. Yeah. And like, I, I think, want to be an Instagram model. It's like, no, what you want is, like, three good friends. Right. Exactly. And so, like, someone was talking to me. It was my, my baby cousin. And she was like, I want to go to Hawaii for school. And I had the same dream when I was her age. And I was like, okay, break it down for me. Why? She's like, I don't know. I just want to go to Hawaii. And I was like, baby girl. <laughs> Southwest flies to Hawaii. Right. Like, you can just go there yeah. if you want. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, baby girl, what do you really want to do? She's like, well, I want to be a marine biologist. And I was like, why? She's like, well, I don't want to work a nine to five. Okay. So actually what you want is you want to be able to travel. You want to have freedom. And you don't want to be in a desk job and be tied mm-hmm to a job like your parents may have been. That responsibility scares you. And that's why you want to go to Hawaii, because in your mind, Hawaii equals freedom. Exciting 100% of the time. Yes, exactly. And so, and when she got that, she was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, so I want you to sit down and write down what you want your life to look like in 10 years and in five years. And, And it's the same strategy I used when I decided to go back to school for medicine, is I was like, I'm so scared of committing to medicine, it's huge. I'm not going to sleep for the next 50 years of my life, and that's fine. But, but the way medicine makes me feel, 
and it's like the way music makes you feel mm-hmm. there's just something that clicks and you're like I feel more alive when I haven't slept for seven days and when I'm helping people or when I'm playing music yeah. and we're on the road and we're touring or when I'm up at 3 a.m. writing a song because it hit me all of a sudden yeah that that feeling is addicting and it makes all the sacrifices and all the pain of achieving that goal worth it. Oh, totally. You know? And I think that's where having a goal and actually feeling fulfilled when you've completed it mm-hmm. really comes from is because the whole time, yes, you've been working, but the whole time your work has secretly been filling you up. Yeah. And it's it's delayed reward, you know, it's compounded interest yeah. into fulfillment. And by the end of it, not only have you accomplished an external like process and goal, but you've also developed and cultivated a character in you and a mindset in you and habits in yourself that have made you a different person. Yeah. And I think that's really the goal of like, you know, 20, 30 years old is like you kind of come out from underneath anything in your childhood, right? And Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest, no one has a perfect childhood. Yeah. Everyone comes out damaged one way or another. Oh, yeah. I don't care who you are like that. I'm pretty sure. We're all Maybe just, there's two people we're all in the world. in the broken people. Yeah, parade. exactly. And and I think that's what's so cool about being 20 and 30, is you're S- able to like. Side note: so so much closer to 30 now than 20. Well, maybe for you. <laughs> maybe I'm just super mature, and and you're and, just super and, immature. And maybe I'm not. Yeah. Right. That's why but, it feels like I'm about three years younger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Than you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that's the time of life when you kind of are like, okay, how how can I forgive? How can I rebuild? Yeah. And. If people delay that, I think that's when they become alcoholics at 40 and have midlife crises at 45. Yeah. Well, and it's you know, people that hold on to stuff like stress, unforgiveness. That, I mean, you know better than I do as a person that knows more about medicine than just what they've seen on <laughs> Scrubs and House and Grey's Anatomy. Um, but so terrible. That so terribly manif- not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you might be right. I don't. I don't know. Each of those shows seems as accurate as the other. But I like things like unforgiveness and bitterness and stress, like those things can manifest themselves as cancer and tumors and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that is insane to me. That level of how the human body works of like your thought patterns can be detrimental to your physical health mm-hmm. down the road. And yeah, it's a, th- it's a thing I've been like, saying for a while now of one of my bumper stickers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just these little, like, I don't know, little truths I've found. But it is so, so much easier to do things angry than it is to do them afraid. But if something is worth doing, it's worth doing afraid. Um, and it's worth doing poorly for a little bit. So, yeah, like, forgiveness is a hard thing that I think probably most people struggle with. But I forget who it was, but somebody said choosing to forgive someone, you're giving them permission to let them off the hook, which is great. And it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. If you are angry or resentful or bitter or have unforgiveness towards somebody, usually it's for like a justified reason. You may be mm-hmm. overreacting, but at the root of it is like, well, you did this and it hurt me. Mm-hmm. It's like, cool. Well, you can be angry about that for forever mm-hmm. and they don't know and they're carrying on just fine. And you're going to get tumors because you're a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's how medicine works. If if you are ever angry at somebody, you'll get get sick. (laughs) Yeah, resentment is terrible. 
But I think forgiveness is so cool because I'm and right now my my understanding of it is like two two part. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's so many other parts to it. But it's like you have to be able to be empathetic and see the other person's actions by their point of view mm-hmm. and put yourself in their shoes. Were they really trying to be mean, or is this something in their character that they just can't help? It's hardwired into their character to treat people like that when they're in that situation. And the other part is looking at yourself and examining yourself. Why is this getting me so bad? What insecurity is this touching on? Oh, yeah. And I just, I recently just said... Oh, it's so much more fun to just lie to yourself Dude, I know, but you can't, because you can't, because then you get cancer. (laughs) You can't do it. Yep. Uh, Insecurities (laughs) cause cancer and bitterness causes tumors. And I'm not really sure the difference between those two. Yeah, no, yourself is the easiest person to lie to. And you can cover up so many insecurities with just having snap reactions and being angry. And then people learn, I can't talk to you about that. I can't give you feedback. And so then no one ever addresses the things that you're not good at. And then you develop. It goes from having a blind spot to having, here's this thing that I'm totally unaware of now because people are afraid to address it and you just go on through life like just always having that that flaw that could have been fixed if you were able to just like be honest with yourself Mm -hmm. it's another one of those things everything good comes from honesty exactly like those bumper stickers are awesome (laughs) like i legit think you should make some of them and like put them up you know what i mean like they're awesome but it's like like a real friend will critique you Mm -hmm. because i was just in seattle with my best friend and I had this conversation with my mom on speakerphone. It was a little heated. She's like, Becca, she was not all wrong there. Excuse me? Did you not hear what we were talking about? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And she was like, Becca, you just escalated the situation so quick. And I don't know why, but it, even talking to her touched on something that made you angry and afraid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you're totally right. And I was like, you know what? I even called her out of fear because I was afraid they wouldn't pick me up from the airport. Even though I knew I had a ride from the airport. Um, you called defensive over a situation exactly. that hadn't happened? Exactly. And I was just like, oh, you're right. Okay, you're right. And I was like, definitely pouted for five minutes mm-hmm. in the passenger <laughs> seat. And I was like, mm-mm, no, I'm right. And I was like, dang it, I'm so wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. yeah I love. Oh, there's nothing better than getting mad and being right. If you can blow up at somebody and then they apologize and you both feel better afterwards, I mean, always choose that if you can. But then if that doesn't work, then you you just have to forgive people. Um. (laughs) Um, So, like, talking about, like, forgiveness and identity, I feel like those two words have been huge in your life for the last year. Do you want to just start from the beginning with that whole story? Yeah, start from the beginning. So... I kind of going back to the beginning, like the intro of this show. Mm-hmm. So I talked about like loving the Lion King and stuff like that. And you'll forgive me when the film comes out. I've just, I've talked to enough people about this. I kind of have a little, mm-hmm. little script that I just have. So it'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll hear it multiple places. So you just, you just told me you made the first draft of the movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have the first okay. draft of the film done. So and it's called Finding St. Joseph. Searching for St. Joseph. Searching for St. Um, Joseph. Yeah. Okay. Just, I'm a fan of alliteration. Right and aptly titled things. If I'm good at nothing else, I am good at naming things. Um, Your kids are going to have great names, oh, I'm yeah. sure. 
I was actually thinking about that this morning, actually, of like, oh, Marcus Lee, what do I want my son's name? John Jackson Lee. And he'll be famous, <laughs> for sure. You can't have yeah. a name like that and not be famous. Mm-hmm. Um, John with no H, because come on, mm-hmm. no no silent letters. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so going, going all the way back to The Lion King, mm-hmm. so I start just loving movies as a little kid, and then I got older, and I took an actual interest in, like, here's how films get made. And so every every movie, I would watch it, and then I would immediately watch it over with director's commentary. And it's a thing I still do oh, to this day. Sweet. It is my favorite thing in the world. And, like, when we were, gosh, I was in, like, middle school, and we had this, oh, I forget what it was. Some, I'm sure it was some minivan or something, but it had, like, a flip-down DVD player in the mm-hmm. back that was, you know, about the size of a quarter. And... There was, like, just three movies that we had in there for years. For years, we just had three movies in there. It was <laughs> uh, Finding Nemo, Too Fast, Too Furious, and uh, and The Pacifier. Um, oh, I think there might have also been a movie called Street Kings, which I can... Whatever. That's, so only one of those is a good movie. Show. <laughs> Wait, which one? <laughs> Nemo. <laughs> Yeah, I get. I mean, the pacifier is okay, but I do Nemo is so much more intelligent. Yeah. One of my earlier childhood better. crushes was Britney Snow. Um, <laughs> that's a different show. But so, like every any time that I was there, and like my sister was not in the vehicle with us, I was watching those with director's commentary on. Mm. Just like, well, here is a movie. I guess I'll learn as much as I can about it, and then that kind of developed into a sort of more actual interest. And so, fast forward a few years. Um, and I'd been doing uh, stand-up for a mm. while, stand-up comedy. I uh, this we're about to get all over the place. Go for it. And it's I and it'll care. be good. So when you ask about like, um, you know, sticking with art and stuff like that, some of it is is not so much oh because I felt inspired. Mm-hmm. Some of it is you just have to make a choice. You can only do so many things. You can only say yes to so many things. Mm-hmm. It's like there's 24 hours in a day. You can only commit to so much. And right. everything that you're saying yes to means that you're saying no to something else. It's like opportunity cost. Yes. And so I'd been doing stand-up for a while, and I was starting to really love it. Because stand-up was another one of those things. It was just a, a artistic medium that I enjoyed from very early on. I remember hearing uh, Chris Rock's Bring the Pain, his HBO special. And at like 13, 14 years old, I, I listened to it every night. I had this little Zoom oh, MP3 player that held less than a gigabyte of music. And so that special is like an hour long. And so I had that and then like, I'm sure like three other trash songs that just came on it. And it was like all I had. I had to give my mom's computer aids from LimeWire just to download it. You're probably too young to know what LimeWire is. No, I know what it is. Oh, thank Bless your heart. <laughs> I know you're just saying that to make me feel better. No, I really, I do. <laughs> I have a vague memory. Yeah. I have a vague memory of getting yelled at every time we had to pay somebody to come over and wipe our computer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you need to quit pirating music. I never did. Oh, <laughs> uh, buy my album on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> but... No, so I, I would listen to that, like, every single night. And I got to where I, I had memorized the entire stand-up wow. special. And it had come out in, like, 1992. So I was not... I did not get most of the jokes in that. Right. But I realized, oh, when I recite some of this stuff, like, out of place to adults, they think it is hilarious. 
Because I was like, I don't know who O.J. Simpson is. I don't know who Marion Barry is. <laughs> and then, yeah, you find out later, like, oh, the, yeah, the mayor of Washington, D.C. got caught doing drugs and then got to keep his job. That's why that's funny. But, yeah, so that, that had sort of spurred my love for stand-up. So I'd been doing stand-up for a while, and a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to do punch-up on a script for a, for a comedy that he was writing and directing and getting ready to shoot. And punch-up is pretty much where you just go in and, like, hey, we have some kind of funny parts of the movie. We don't really write jokes, so we sort of have this structure. Do you want to just kind of help improve this? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that whole idea of excellence, of just making things, just make it better. And so I did that, and so we kind of sat and wrote and rewrote. And after that writing session, he was like, do you want to... Like, at this point, it is... So much of this character is just in your voice. Also, it's his name is Mark. <laughs> He's like, do you want to just read for this character? And I was like, I don't think so, but I'll do it. Uh-huh. I'll try. I've never done an acting audition. Mm-hmm. I've been on stages like my whole life. I was like, this can't be that hard. I basically feel like I'm just playing myself. And so we, we taped an audition, and he almost immediately let me know, like, he, yeah, you're you're going to do this. You're going to be in this film. And I was like, okay. Fine. Didn't really know what to expect. So a f- few months later, like, I've got scripts and stuff like that. I don't know how to memorize a script. Like, I'd done musicals. I can learn songs. Right. But just straight text, I don't get how people do it. Well, and then you get to a film set and you realize they don't memorize that whole movie. You memorize a scene and then you go hang out. And then they reset and it's like, you just have to have a little bit of short-term memory. And we got to do like a bunch of fun improving. All that to say, I get to the set, and it was it felt the same way as like when I first was playing music on a stage in front of people. Mm-hmm. This this could be it. This could be my thing. So there was a click. Yeah, it, immediately I went from being foreign and nervous to it to as soon as like by the time we had blocking done in the rehearsal, even before we were on set. The night that we did the table read, I thought, I could do this. I could do this for the rest of my life. And so I did that. I did a couple of films with him, and then I I worked on some, just doing, like, some audio, like, some production stuff. And it it was just one of those things of, like, okay, I I can do this for myself. And so I started writing, no idea how to write for a film. So it was sort of just, like, in, like, the Apple notes thing uh-huh. i'm just writing these things out and i'm like i i don't know how they get those cool margins that they do on actual film scripts mm-hmm. yeah they're not just hitting the space bar a billion times there's programs that do that <laughs> um and so i was on a flight back from los angeles at this from this thing called uh, pitch fest huge mm-hmm. mistake to go to had no idea what i was doing it was a waste of six hundred dollars sitting just blank faced in a room of studio executives I was like cool so what is what are your ideas I was like okay so it's a movie where like this and this and this happens so like okay do you have like a treatment for it do you have a script it's like i don't think i fully grasped what, what, what this thing was into. yeah so that was it was kind of like me trying to go to college not a good use of anyone's right. time but I'm on flight back from that, and I'm listening to a podcast called Making Movies is Hard. And they're talking about characters, and they're like, yeah, like, if you if you want to make a film that people actually want to see, mm-hmm. you have to have characters that they care about. Like, you have to be able to see yourself as, typically, as the protagonist. And I was like, well, yeah, that's easy for you guys to say. You've made, like, 30, 40 movies. Um, I was like, oh, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe they've been able to do this because they've captured onto this thing of like yeah all these people that won oscars for making movies 
it's because people relate to their main character. Mm-hmm. And so that was on, oh, I want to say it was Tuesday the 24th. I don't know. I know Friday the 28th of April, I'm sitting in my apartment on the floor, just kind of sulking because I had just blown an opportunity that, an opportunity that I had not prepared for. Uh, and so me and my roommate are watching the 1977 version of Pete's Dragon, which is unbearable and terrifying and long. And uh, it just hit me. Oh, I, I have the story. I have the character. I have everything that I need if I want to make a film that people care about. Just out of the blue. Yeah. And so, yeah, I decided in that moment, this isn't even what I want to do, but it felt like, I think I just need to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I'm going to hire a crew, I'm going to hire a private investigator, and I'm going to make a documentary about myself meeting my biological father for the first time. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that was that was on a Friday. On a on Saturday, uh, I had met up and had dinner with a friend of mine, Parker, who I was gonna. Basically, I met with him to be like, "Hey, do you can I hire you as my director yeah. of photography for this?" Yeah. And he's like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" He's like, "I will. I will help you to the ends of the earth if this is what you want to do." He's like, "Don't worry about money or whatever." And I was like, yeah, I, I think so. He's like, okay, so for filmic purposes, I don't really know how people script documentaries, especially ones that are so, like, run and gun. He's like, but if you could have some sort of treatment for me, like, here in the next couple of weeks or whatever. Right. And so I, I went home, and I researched how do you write a script, like, in proper format. <laughs> and then the next, the next morning, so I stayed up all night. I got home at, like, 9.30 from Chipotle, um, name drop. This episode's brought to you by Chipotle. Um, Ebola's not that bad. You'll keep coming back. Go to uh, just chipotle.com slash Becca for 10% off your next order. Not None yet. of that's not, true. Don't try that. We're not there yet. Yeah. Um, I know I will have succeeded in life if Chipotle will sponsor my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Or just give you a discount on a burrito bowl. Right. Um, Side note, the Chipotle smoked Tabasco sauce is the only condiment that I own. And they are 100%. It's from every time I've ever been to Chipotle. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stop doing it. Um, it's so good. <laughs> but yeah, so he's, he's so like. So you get back from Chipotle. Yeah, I get back from Chipotle and I get home. And I'm just like, okay, there's got to be resources on the internet to learn how to do mm-hmm. script writing. So I looked it up. And they're like, cool, you need to get like get any of these three programs. And I was like, uh, this one is like a thing that I've heard people talk about before. Mm-hmm. So I downloaded that. And I was like, so here's how you would typically structure it. Here's mm-hmm. where like your, just all your, your margins and your, your dialogue and your action and all, all this stuff. And I s- just pulled an all-nighter. And the next morning at like 9 o'clock, I handed him a 32-page script professionally done and everything because it was one of those like when inspiration hits you just kind of have to you have to catch that wave Mm -hmm. of momentum and just ride it out you catch your flow yeah and all of a sudden you don't realize it's four in the morning and you've been up all night yeah yeah i you you finally look up from your computer and you're like oh no the sky's blue again right 
Oops. <laughs> what is that noise? Oh, that's birds. Oh. That's birds and people getting in their cars and going to work. Right. Um, but yeah, so I just, I went at 100% from, from the very beginning and I, I immediately started like social media uh, campaigns and stuff like that. And some of it is because I know for myself as an artist and a creator, um, I actually, I, <laughs> I do a lot of things, but I... I do get burnt out really quickly, mm-hmm. so I don't want it to seem like, oh, you, look at you, and you just stick to, to everything. I've quit most things. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just the things that I've, that I've stuck out have been totally worth, worth it. it. But I've got two or three full albums of music that I've just, I'm like, I'll finish these songs one day. I'll, I'll finish, like, mixing all this. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, I won't. No. I will not do it. But yeah, this was one of those things of like, I need to promote this to as many people as I can, not so that I could have a huge following, but so that I could have a large community that would hold me accountable. Mm. And it's one of those things of like, oh, this person that I know wants to find his dad for the first time and he's going to film it. And I get questions from people all the time. Hey, is it close to being done? Mm -hmm. I just got out of a big all staff meeting and someone's like, hey, when is your movie coming out? I was like, it'll... Soon. Don't worry. It will be soon. And, and you feel bad telling people that are like, oh, I'm, I'm so excited for you. I, I really want to see it. Like, you don't want to tell them like, oh, I've actually let like four people watch it already. Um, right. But just to give me notes on it. Sorry, I haven't let you watch it's it okay. yet. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I know, I'm not I know mad. one day. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, $6.99 on Vimeo On Demand slash Searching <laughs> for St. Joseph. Uh, don't go there yet. It's not out. It's not out um, yet. So... So you write a script, you catch the momentum, you get the flow. And I just want to, like, have you ever met your biological father at this point? Does he even know you're alive? So he for sure knew I existed. Um, When I was, like, five or six, there was a a brief moment in time where somehow he had, like, our contact info. And my my mom had kind of reached out. Because I think it was just finally an age where I could sort of grasp, like, hey, you know how some mm-hmm. of your friends have dads and you're different? Well, you do have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was kind of like, I would say, not even reintroduced, kind of introduced in my life. And I think we talked on the phone once. Okay. And I don't know if it's that I actually remember it or that I've just talked to my mom enough about it that I think I remember it. Right. Um, Because it's, like, I have, like, a third-person view of Mm -hmm. how it happened, so it's... Right. um, So he for sure knew, like, that I was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So then did you hire a private investigator to find him? Yeah. Okay. So I essentially, I started pre-production on the 28th of April. That's crazy. Yeah. And then the 25th of October, I hired a private investigator. Or the 23rd, hired a private investigator. The 25th, I get the report back. Two days? Yeah. I mean, it was it was just like, I because of my mom, like, knowing him right. well, I had a decent amount of information and, like, relative mm-hmm. names and his like, wife or known. ex-wife's name or whatever. So there's a lot of people that could cross-reference to mm-hmm. be like, this is for sure this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but before any of this, I had actually... June now. Mm-hmm. So I had like four years ago from like seven hours of searching. I found a picture of him on Google. What? Yeah. 
and without like my mother well, that's a weird way to say mother i was gonna say mom and then i churched it up a little bit my mother uh, <laughs> my mom had no idea and i just sent her an unsolicited text with just his photo in it just to be like i think this is him but we'll see what kind of reaction this gets right and it immediately got me a phone call and just all the yelling and all the questions of oh. like who where did you find this blah 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 um, she's like, I haven't, like, this is the only picture she'd seen of him in Whoa. 20 years. Yeah. So I at least, like, knew what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, how did you know it was him? I was like, you know, like, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and there's a picture of you tagged, and it can be, like, mm-hmm. a profile shot or from the side, or you can not even be facing the camera. Right. You just know yourself well enough, like, oh, that's me. Right. It felt that way wow. of like scrolling through photo after photo after photo and just being like, that is my face in the future. Um, and we don't look like exactly alike, but it was enough that I was like, I've seen enough pictures of me to know that. That's him. Yeah. That half of my face is your face. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I've described it as it was like looking into an older, darker mirror. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so we. Yeah, hired a private investigator, 23rd, get the report back on the 25th, and I call the director of photography, because I didn't want anything to be like, oh, these scenes were reenacted so mm-hmm. that it felt highly emotional. You wanted it all real. Yeah. Um, and this is great. This is like the director's commentary of my own movie, which is something <laughs> that I'm now realizing I should probably sit down and record. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm like, Parker, you need to go over here right now. He's He's like, why? He's like, because I just, I just got the investigator's report. He's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'll be there as soon as I can, which will be in two days. I'm in California right now, and I'm like, I will kill you. Like, so, I cannot wait two yeah, days. Yeah. So, and I wanted the first time that I looked at it to be filmed because I wanted all my reactions to be genuine. And right. so for two days, I just sat on this information, and there was a handful of people that I just let read it, and I. All I got to see was their reactions to things. And it was the weirdest thing. So we got all that, and then I searched through it, got his name and address, and then that was the 28th of October um, that he was able to actually come over and film. So, like, exactly six months to the day from when I started it, I, I found him, right? I know when my yeah. half birthday is. Come on, girl. Yeah, you got it. Um, that was the 28th of October. And then we flew out at 5.35 in the morning on the 9th of November. Wow. And then... So uh, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I mean, it happened back to back. Like, we Dude. got it. Didn't do any confirming that this is still where he lived. I bought tickets that night. And it was like, hey, guys, here's what time we're flying out. I need your your Passport names number. and birthdays yeah. and all that stuff so that I can book these tickets because I wasn't wasting any time. But, yeah, it was. So, yeah, and, and everything leading up to that. Some of it was just marketing stuff. Some of it was pre-production. Some of it was figuring out, do I actually want to do this? Right. <laughs> and until the night that I actually called him, it was like. So what night did you call him? The night that we got there. Okay. So we got there super early in the morning, and I called him that night. Because I knew I'm only here for so many days. And it was like, I need to give you as much time as possible. To, like, work it out. Yeah. 
yeah, it was. What was that like? It's the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. By a thousand percent, yes. It was like. Were you scared? Was it just like I was terrified, and I'm not totally sure of what because it was like like I've lived my whole life mm-hmm. without a father, and at some point it becomes your normal. Mm-hmm. And and you always I say you always, your family's rad, um, so you don't because mm-hmm. you have good parents uh, that love each other. Uh, um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally joking. That somehow avoided that fifty percent chance. But at some point it becomes your normal, and you sort of theorize, like, oh, man, if I ever met him, I would be like, you know, you owe me this much, and, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. You you won't do that when you mm-hmm. come face to face. Like, if this applies to anybody listening to this, just know that you're not going to go there and tell him off. Something comes over you that is like, I am just a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> um But, yeah, I, I took something that had become normal and regular and everyday and something that I would joke about all the time as sort of a defense mechanism and then I elevated it and I put a light on it and said hey I'm gonna try and raise money I'm gonna ask other Mm -hmm. people for money so that I can pay people to capture me overcoming like my biggest fear and I I created a scenario for myself in which something that was totally normal became really scary mm-hmm. and then I said hey give me money so I can pay people to watch me be afraid I don't know if it was a great idea really looking back um but yeah it was it was the, it's the hardest thing I've ever done mm-hmm. and it it really sets the bar for like your sort of emotional pain tolerance and and how much you can handle as far as like doing hard things because it is, I I have seen just in the last, you know, six months since going there and of how much more, like, not even more confident, but just less afraid of certain things. Because there would be some mm-hmm. things of like, oh, I don't, this person's doing this thing. I don't know if I should confront them about it. It's not that big of a deal. Right. And being like, well, it's not as hard as calling your dad out of nowhere after 25 years. I can do it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you did this and I don't really care for it. I'm not mad, but you need to know. And it's like. So it broke the boundaries. Yeah. It shattered, like, the glass ceiling. Oh, yeah. yeah. By by a billion percent. Yeah. What were some of the thoughts that, like, so there, there's a preview, right? Yeah. On Online, and it's, even the preview is powerful. Like, even the preview, I was just sitting there like, oh, my gosh, what <laughs> is going to happen? This is insane. Because knowing, meeting you before and not knowing this was your story. Yeah. And then, like, trying to sit down and be like, okay, wait, what are we going to talk about? I'm just being like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What is this? Um, you sit down at um on a on a couch with a coffee table in front of you and, and your phone on speaker in front of you. And like I couldn't help but think like what is going through your head? Like what are the thoughts? Uh I think what was actually going through my head was sort of like tricking myself into being confident. Of like I've done enough like theater and stand-up and even music performance that Mm -hmm. it's sort of like like you have a thing called stage health which is like you can be sick as a dog and as soon as the lights go up your body is like okay we're gonna put the sickness aside Mm -hmm. so that you can sing for the next 50 minutes and then as soon as you get off stage you're gonna want to die 
And then there's also like, you know, just like a lights up performance where it's mm-hmm. like I wasn't, I was super nervous and the lights came up and your sort of intuition kicks in of like, okay, I need to say these lines, I need to sing these songs, I need to just get through mm-hmm. this bit or this routine or whatever. And I was like, I've made phone calls before. I know, I know what, not what I want to say, but I know what he needs to know. I know there's mm-hmm. some logistic information that I need to get out just mm-hmm. so that he won't hang up from this number that he doesn't mm-hmm. know. And I sat down and I was just thinking, because I was, I mean, I'd thought about it every day for seven and a half months. Right. And, and you think about it throughout your life of like, oh, what would I ever say if I met him? And I'm sure that we had both thought that mm-hmm. throughout, you know, two and a half decades of like, oh, you know, I, I wonder if I ever met my son, what I'd say. And I would have the similar thought of like, if I met my dad, what would I actually say? Because mm-hmm. there's no, and this is something you've written about, there's no how-to book yeah. to find your dad. Hopefully in like two years there will be because right? I'm working on it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I for real want to write a book called How to Meet Your Father for the First Time. Sweet. I'm, um, I'm, if you, like, I'm in, I'll yeah. help, whatever yeah, how you to meet your, how to meet your father, how to meet Greg for the first time. <laughs> um, that's your dad's name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nailed it. But, yeah, so, like, you sort of fantasize, like, oh, this is what I would say. Mm-hmm. But then, starting April 28th, I knew I have a countdown, and I need to figure out what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And it quit being a hypothetical, and I wasn't angry and when you're not angry, you allow your, you give yourself permission to be afraid. Mm-hmm. And, and like Which, I said, it's so much harder to do things afraid than it is to do it angry. A- anger is a great motivator. Anger gets stuff done. And, and fear is... Fear is wisdom in the face of danger. And, yeah, I had a countdown to, like, you need to figure out what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm walking around outside the condo that we were staying in. Cameras have all been set up at this point for like an hour and a half, and they're just waiting. And they can't be like, hey, you need to hurry up, we need to film mm-hmm. it, one, because I'm paying them, and two, because they're not bad people. Uh, <laughs> and I'm walking around outside, like, talking to myself, mm-hmm. just losing my mind a little bit. Like, I'm shaking, I'm sweating, and it's like 8 o'clock at night. It's not hot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm wearing a hoodie. And I was like, I just have to do it. I just have to do it. I have to do it afraid, but I have mm-hmm. to do it. And I get in there, and Parker's like, did you figure out what you're going to say? I'm like, <laughs> no, let's do it. And so I just sat down, and, yeah, after the, the first scene of the film is a timestamp, and it's me saying, all of my insides want to be on my outside. And that's, that is what was going through my mind. It felt like I had drank nothing but espresso because mm. you just your whole body's a little jittery and you're like, I feel hungry. I also feel like I could throw up. Um, going through my mind was, you've talked on the phone enough. You know what he needs to know. When somebody picks up on the other line of that, you will figure out what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. You can't just freeze. And I was kind of hoping that that was true. I didn't know if I'd freeze or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot more practical things that I was trying to think about of like, okay, there's three cameras on you. Like, 
you need to make sure you don't kick over this light. You can't shake too much because one of the cameras is on a tripod on the table. And so there was a lot of things in like right. director producer mode that I was in right. that helped me actually stay a little calm. Cause I was like, well, I get that I'm a person calling their father for the first time, but also like the scene needs to look good. And I so, love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. so much. So kind of like splitting, you know, if you can split your brain, right. then you're only half as worried now. Right. But, exactly. But yeah, so a, a lot of what was going through my head is you've talked on the phone. You'll, you'll figure it out. When somebody answers the phone, you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was terrifying. The worst thing I've ever done. Not the worst thing. The hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do. You know, like, I would, I would die. I would just, like, give up and die. I would just be like, uh-uh, nope, done. I've done it. I've watched myself do it on film over and over and over. And if I had to do it again for the first time, I don't know what I would do differently. Huh. That is, it's such an unpreparable thing. Yeah. But that, that's part of the reason that I was like, that I wanted to do this. It's like, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it will be in the moment, but I'll have figured it out. And being on the other side of it, I got, I had posted a video on Instagram like last night. And I got a message from somebody that just saw it on like the Colorado story. And I just, I got a message from him that just said, I'm so excited to watch this. Uh, my dad didn't want to meet me. A few years later, we ended up in the same elevator in a hospital. Like, so excited to see your story. And I'm like, what? So, yeah, like, this isn't, if I can use this as a tool to help people, or not even the film, but just the experience of it all to help mm-hmm. people in some way, because it's a lot. It's a nerve-wracking thing. Yeah. Like, if you are going to meet your parent for the first time i can't recommend enough that you do not film it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's not even like the meeting it's everything leading up to it yeah because once you've broken that barrier once i made contact it was like oh okay i did the hardest thing Mm -hmm. and now each next thing like now this is the hardest thing it's not as bad but continuing on like okay i still have to do this i still have to do this Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the apex Mm. of it I don't know anyone that could have explained that to me. I don't know anyone that has been, like, you know, calling my parent or whatever for the first time. And I remember there being cameras there and Mm -hmm. filming and all that stuff. Oh, so nerve-wracking. But I did it. Yeah, you did it. Were you scared of rejection? Yeah. I think everybody is. Yeah. Um, Because I... Because it's one thing to just, like, not have your dad... To have your dad be absent. Yeah. But it's another to be like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, passive rejection is very different from active rejection. Exactly. And I I have set up my life in such a way to where I don't, (laughs) this sounds so cocky to say, I don't really experience rejection. Great, Um, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) You're lucky. (laughs) In the sense that, like, I... I'm pretty, like, not timid about things, Mm -hmm. but I avoid things that I'm not good at. I'm pretty good at, like, Mm -hmm. passing things off to other people. Like... You know your strengths. Yeah, I know my strengths, and I will hire out my weaknesses. Yeah. Um, Because there's been a number of times people are like, oh, you play drums? I'm like, "Mm, yeah, kind of. Cool, do you want to play on this jazz gig? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, but you should hire this guy instead. But, yeah, I've just... I've learned what I'm good at, and and it's one of those things, like... 
nobody knew that I played like piano or keys or any mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff until I'd been doing it for like two years. Mm-hmm. I just was like, hey, do you play this? Mm, nope. No, I don't. Right. And I was like, I know I'm not good enough yet to say that I do it. So what's the point? But yeah, this was one of those things of like, I could be setting myself up for some huge like active rejection here. Yeah. Of like, it's been 25 years. Why now? At this point, I don't want anything to do with you. And that could have been his response. And I was, man, thought processes are crazy. I was so scared of that Mm -hmm. that there was a small part of my mind that was like, maybe he died. Mm. And I just, I won't have to do it. And that, that's how afraid I was. Um, So I haven't actually not told anybody that. So, yeah. It'll be, be exclusive. Sweet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, yeah, I guess active rejection. Because mm-hmm. it's just not a, it's not a thing I experienced that much. And I'm pretty good about asking if, like, for feedback. But mm-hmm. that's. That's different. Yeah, there's a difference between, like, oh, here's how you can make this thing that you're already, like, pretty good at. Here's how you can make it better. Right. Versus, like, you should, it would be like if I was on stage, like, playing something and somebody's like you should never pick up a bass guitar again right you're you shouldn't do it mm-hmm. that would rock me yeah and i think that's that's kind of what i was afraid of of like no you're i'd stayed out of your life for a reason that's what i didn't want mm-hmm. do you think there was like a piece of you that was missing your whole childhood because I know for you so it's different when people get divorced and the dad leaves Mm -hmm. or if there's a traumatic exit but for you you grew up with a mom Mm -hmm. and there was no dad and that and like you said that became your new normal yeah was there a piece of you that was like actually I know like actually there is something missing yeah well especially being biracial it Mm -hmm. is it's difficult it's like I I had friends like close friends in high school, mm-hmm. that it wasn't till like a year after I graduated that they were like, "Wait, you're not adopted." <laughs> I was like, "No, my mom's just white." And Are I, you serious? I'm a hundred percent certain. Goodness. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, Emily, if you're listening to this, you are a bad friend. Uh, <laughs> maybe she's just focused on the wrong things. Yeah, or maybe. Uh, maybe no. she's not a detail person. <laughs> no, she's great. Congrats <laughs> to you and Ryan on your wedding. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. Um, but yeah, that's like being being black and having a white mom and a white sister is a great conversation starter wow. for a conversation that I'm so sick of having. But yeah, I mean, even just knowing like I don't look like my parent right. is is hard. And so you, you always know like, oh, I'm the only one in my family that looks this way. Do you think finding your dad <laughs> not only was like, you know, filling that father figure gap and that masculinity gap you know someone you could look up to to show you like this is how you be a man in the world Mm -hmm. kind of a thing you know or at least being like this is why you do things differently and you think this way and you have this mannerism it was a weird thing it's in your bones kid like you know so when we were there was a point where because he's like did not want to be filmed which is fine i get it Mm -hmm. but there was a point where um we're at this coffee shop Mm -hmm. um i spoilers for the film. I'm sorry. 
But this happened six months ago, and I just can't keep it in. Plus, I just want to tell you. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast, just shut it off. This is just for Beck and I. Um, there's a point where we're at the coffee shop, and he was like, so like I'm facing this way, and he's facing me, and Parker yes. was behind him. Um, and Parker said, he's like, I just got too curious. And so he walked up to go to the bathroom, and then we, when he walked back, like I guess my father had said something and did like some head gesture and Parker was like that is you you do that you do that exact same thing and then another weird thing is finding out so he is also a bass player and he's also like a music director really band leader which told I am like my mom is one of like six or seven kids Mm -hmm. I think six yeah I know how big my family is um I am the only musical person in my family. Whoa. And so to find out that, like, okay, father is, a, like, a session bass player. And apparently my, like, his brother is a, a great drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finding out, oh, I have a half-brother that is a musician as well. And then I have another brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. And just, like... Okay, this makes this makes sense. It's it was somehow, I guess, passed down genetically. That's crazy. But yeah, so there there has been a few things of like okay, it this is filling in some some gaps. This explains why I am. Yeah. A, a way I am. Yeah. Kind of and and of course, of course it is. I mean, your DNA is two different people. Mm-hmm. Whether that person's around or not, Mm-hmm. You're still, in some ways, inheriting some of their, mm-hmm. like, attributes. Mm-hmm. and Nature versus nurture yeah. is, like, complicated in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and as far as, like, growing up with... I definitely grew up without a father. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a good portion of my life, I kind of went without a father figure and kind mm-hmm. of bounced around. There was one guy of, of... Like, I had some friends, and their their dad was a pretty, like, big influence in yeah. my life. Like, he was our our little league football coach when I was in like fourth grade and then growing up I would pretty much live with them especially over the summers and he was I guess he later had a conversation like with my mom and I was like no we we totally saw that Marcus could probably use a father figure and I think he picked up that role as as much as as he could but then yeah and in coming out here I've met people like Scott Connor who Mm -hmm. Scott and Val um, were the ones that we stayed with so they're some friends of mine, it's their parents, and they're just awesome. I mean, all their kids are grown and out of their house, Sweet. but they are the sweetest people. Yeah, I've I went without having my own father, but I've been able to sort of leech off of other people's. Right. But yeah, I mean, you you kind of put the pieces together along the way, and you and you figure it out. And it wasn't even like having no father became my new normal. I was born, and it was me and my mom, and that was just. How it was from day one. Right. Do you think not having a dad made you more introspective? Because even like even reading, even talking to you and um, reading some of the stuff on on your blog. Searching for com slash blog. It's it's so <laughs> great. It's so awesome. It's really powerful. But it's like okay, this is more than just some stupid guy. You know, like it's like it's, <laughs> thank you. You know what I mean? Like you're like okay, like this guy is a poet. Like he's you know he's romantic. He has like the romanticism where mm-hmm. everything's connected in life and life is art and beauty is life and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. And it's like 
And, like, do you think not having a dad made you think about who you are more and how you handle things more and how how to handle certain situations differently or why things are the way they are? Uh, maybe. I, I think some of it actually comes from, so, like, everything that you do is sort of like a, I don't even know if this is true. I heard somebody say sure. it, and so it's just a thing Let's that I believe. <laughs> yeah. Which, it gets people in trouble. Um, but it's the idea that, like, everything you do is, like, a binary reaction to the way that you were raised. To the way that you were raised. Mm-hmm. So it's either like, well, my mom did this, so I'm for sure not going to do that. Or my dad did this, so, I'm f- so this is just what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why people with, you know, alcoholic parents, like, you can have one kid that becomes full-blown alcoholic, and the other one's like, yeah, I'm going to do not I'm not going to drink. Yeah. Yeah. And so my mom is a very emotional person um, and really wears her heart on her sleeve and mm. just is, I'm, I don't know anyone that cries as much as her. Um, and it can just be at little things. Like, like in the movie 310 to Yuma, I think there's a, like a horse falls over and she gets emotional. Like she no. just, yeah. Um, I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just, I kind of learned this. It feels like a cold calculated thing, but I just, I learned from a young age, these people in my life that are highly emotional seem to get hurt pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And so it became like, I've just, I've always sort of placed, uh, logic and reason over emotional and that idea of how you feel is not how you are, like how you're feeling is not how you're doing. And so I think just being able to sit and think on things for a little longer, it lets you put more pieces together than just being reactionary and emotional to everything. I don't know if that really answered your question. But yeah, so especially like in some of those blog posts and writing, like these are things that I've thought for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that my opinion on them will change after I've gathered more information and then reanalyzed things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I try to, I don't know like the artist part of my brain feels really conflicted with the logical part of my brain oh yeah because it's like i want to see the world in light and color and wonder but then there's also facts and Mm -hmm. you can't ignore that and maybe like the i don't know the real art is in the tension of those two things well said yeah ding yeah nailed it (laughs) Um, so what is next? So you, so like, you have this movie recorded, right? So you get back. Yeah, it's on a hard drive in that bag right there. (laughs) Great. And then like, that's so crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. Yep. But you get back and now, um, you were there in November. Yep. So December to June. December to June. Um. What have you been doing? How so, hard has it been? How cool has it been? So initially, I thought I wanna I wanna release this movie the second Tuesday in April mm-hmm. because it happened to be my birthday. Sort of an uh, arbitrary reason to do it. Needless to say, we're at the end of June now, mm-hmm. and I just got the first draft done like three days ago. So that's for sure not gonna happen. Um, so what happens now? Editing. Um, what what I've been doing is just editing, um, yeah. cutting it together, and then you color everything, and then you fix all the audio. Um, How has that been for you? Because it's a, mostly... night, a nightmare. Yeah. I have, like, I've done, like, music video stuff. I'm, I'm great at cutting mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like, I understand story flow, but it just felt, like, immediately overwhelming. But some of it was, like, I'm already down, like, 23 
I'm in the hole like two grand from trying to make this film. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go like another six trying to pay somebody to edit this film. Because mm-hmm. um, it gets expensive. And so I, I had to give myself a bit longer of a timeline. But you just... Man, YouTube tutorials are amazing. And they'll <laughs> teach you like, hey, here's some like principles of editing. And here's how you can make things feel a little smoother. And so I would do it and I would watch it and I'd hate it. And I'd redo it and I'd watch it and I'd hate it. Until it finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to sh- start showing this to some people that understand, like, some of the, like, creative process and stuff like that. Being intentional about, like, feedback and asking them uh, you can take this with you. But asking what what felt right, what felt wrong, what felt missing, and what felt confusing. Mm-hmm. And then going through and just fixing all of those things. And not asking, like, a billion people. There'll be, like, eight people or so that I'll have showed it to and then hoping to do, like, a local film premiere of it, um, probably either at the Rialto Theater in Loveland uh, or at the Lyric Theater in uh, in Fort Collins. And then it will be, the idea would it would be for, it premieres, and then it goes live as soon as it's done there. And it'll be alive on, like, Vimeo On Demand. Cool. Because initially I thought, oh, yeah, I want to get this on Netflix. And then I met with a a discovery producer mm-hmm. and was like, it's like, okay, so what do you want? What are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. And after talking to him for like two hours, he's like, I actually don't think it's like, not that I don't think we would want your show. He's like, I actually don't think that you should do this. And I was like, I I don't think so either because it became one of those, like, I don't want some studio executives to be like, you need to change this and this and this. Um, and you need to cut this part out and you need to like film either a reenactment or you know, you need to do this to make right. it feel different. Because it's your story. Yeah. Yeah. And it is it is more important to me that people see it than that I get paid. Because this was like, making this movie, this was sort of like the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And then as this process has gone on, and I've had strangers reach out to me and be like, I'm so glad you're telling this story. This is my story, too. Yeah. It's been like, okay, this isn't, I'm not doing this for me anymore. Months ago, this quit being about oh, I'm trying to, like, make my first feature-length film. I'm going to take it to festivals, and then it's going to get on Netflix. And it was like, nope, I'm I'm in, I'm intentionally not taking it to festivals and things like that. Like, I want it, I want people to be able to watch it as soon as it's done. And I don't really know how it works. Uh, long-term, what's next? I'm working on starting a nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, Sick. Yeah. Awesome. St. Joseph Foundation. <laughs> Which St. Joseph in Catholicism, um, so where the title Searching for St. Joseph comes from. Mm-hmm. In Catholicism, St. Joseph is the patron saint of fathers. And I was born at St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix. And my father's middle name is Joseph. And I didn't find out until... What? yeah, Dude. I didn't find out until I got to Phoenix and actually spoke to him that he was named after St. Joseph. Like, no. Yeah, his parents were like Catholic and... So, yeah, he's named after two saints, one of them being Joseph. So I'm, wow. I'm in the process of starting the St. Joseph Foundation. And really, I, I know how lucky I am to not be just a statistic. Because, like, 43% of kids in, like, our generation will have grown up in a single-parent home. And I might be getting some of these numbers backwards because mm-hmm. they've been in my brain for wow. a number of months now. But, like, 90% of imprisoned teens are 
from fatherless homes and wow. 86% of teen suicides or 86% of, of runaways, teen runaways are from fatherless homes. Mm. 83% of teen suicides or ages 12 to 26 are from fatherless homes. Um, 26 of the 27 mass shootings in like the last however many years are fatherless young men. Really? Yeah. 26 out of 27. That's... So yeah, I am... If I can help anybody in any sort of way, I... It's sort of like if you can do something, you should do something. Right. Um, And I'm sort of using... I don't know, whatever platform or resources that I have. Um, but yeah, so the goal of St. Joseph Foundation really is to father the fatherless and to fund families. And so... That's so awesome. That's so great. Yeah. I, whether it's providing health costs to, to like single moms or mentoring to kids from single parent homes, pretty much anyone who grew up in a similar situation to me I want to help them. Like, I'm not special. I'm not a survivor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I got incredibly lucky that I was able to latch onto a few good people in my life that cared enough to not to not see me, like, throw my life away. So, yeah, whether it's mentoring young men or, or whatever. And then one of, one of the big things, the sort of biggest measurable goal, mm-hmm. um, is I want to be able to sit down across from, like, a couple that's looking to adopt and kind of hear their story and hear their heart. And then at the end of it, be like, cool, here's $40,000, go go adopt a kid. I think that's the main reason people don't adopt kids. Dude, my heart literally just jumped <laughs> in my chest. It was just like, wow. Yeah. That's... Average adoption cost is like $41,000, and I think that's the main reason people don't adopt kids. Marcus, that's so awesome. Yeah. And I think that there's there's people out there who want to adopt and don't have the resources, and there's people that don't really want more kids, but they have the resources. And so kind of bridging right. that connection, but just to, I think, is as few, not not to say that, like, oh, you are, you're worse off if you don't have both parents in the house. But statistically, you are worse off if you don't have both parents in the house. No, undoubtedly. So especially those people who are saying, okay, we have this nuclear family. Right. I want, we want to bring somebody else into this. We want mm-hmm. to, we want to create an, an environment to bring someone who would, who would have never had this. Um, uh, there's a movie called Lion with Dev Patel about this Indian kid who's separated at a really young age from his parents, takes this long, long train, gets put through the foster care system and adoption and all that stuff and gets adopted by this Australian couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a scene in that movie that, I don't know. It did something to me. But he's kind of like getting in his parents, his adopted parents' face a little bit. He's like, mm-hmm. look, it's not my fault that you couldn't have kids. And if you didn't want to adopt me, then you shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, it wasn't that we couldn't have kids. It's like, I would rather bring a child who wouldn't have had this and give you a great life versus somebody who, who would never have known anything different. And not to say that like, kids born in, in good families don't appreciate it mm-hmm. but again it becomes your normal right and you don't think anything else of it and so yeah i i have nothing but respect for people who are like i'm going to take this child who statistically is going to have a much rougher time and i'm going to put them in an environment and help them succeed i yeah that's so awesome so yeah if i can help people at all 
and that sort of thing. But yeah, the idea of it, the St. Joseph Foundation, I mean, he's the, the patron saint of fatherhood. So I, I think so a major excited. thing that a father does is provide. And so if I can help provide for families, because I, I can't go out and adopt a thousand kids, but I can, I can help, you know, 500 families adopt two kids. Right. Marcus, that's awesome. <laughs> that is so, wow. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah. It's, it is not at all. You're literally taking not what something. I no, but you're taking something that, that was in lack in your life. And because it was, wasn't there in your life, you were able to pursue it. And do something much more than just fill yourself up. Yeah. Just trying to... Dude, that is so... <laughs> that is so amazing. That is so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Because so many people would just stop and be like, I found my dad. Here's yeah. my movie. That's what my plan was. And then, yeah. It's like, no. I... I'm, I'm trying to build something that will outlive me. And, uh, yeah, just giving people what I didn't have. Like it's, a, it's a thing that my, my mom tells me and my sister all the time. It's like, it's, it's more important to me, not that I win, you know, the greatest parent in the world award. She's like, my, my goal is that I'll be better than my parents were. Because she grew up with just her mother as well. It is a thing that runs in my family. Everyone has been married and divorced at least once. Wow. So yeah, except for, except for Shelby and Jason. Good job, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're the first blood relatives of mine that are like, hey, all of, all of our kids, are the only kids we yeah. have. That's and they all live in the same house, and they seem to still get along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's because they're hippies and they live in Boulder. But uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, they figured it out, so it's fine. But yeah, my mom, my mom tells us that all the time. Of like, I just want to be better than than my parents were and I want you to be better than I am Mm -hmm. and yeah like I've heard people say like oh you can't you can't give someone what you don't have "Mm, you can I think you can I'm gonna try to Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's so awesome so um when is the release date in mind in mind uh, as soon as I hear back from theater people. Okay. Um, so sometime in the next two or three months, hopefully. Yeah, sooner, yeah, this maybe fall. Even. It will be this fall. Um, okay. And really, and in like, unless you're like kind of local to the area, uh, like priority access will be given to anybody who donated to the, like the Indiegogo campaign. Mm-hmm. And then just some other like friends, family, that kind of stuff. And then tickets will, will be on sale or available. You can just keep looking at uh, searchingforstjoseph.com. There'll be a link somewhere when when tickets become available. Cool. And that's like the generalized website. Yeah. Searching for St. Joseph. And then um, Instagram, it's just who is Marcus Lee? Uh, yeah, there is a Searching for St. Joseph Instagram that gets used a little bit. But, yeah, I'm on Instagram and, and Twitter at who is Marcus Lee. Yeah, I was just saying because... You seem like an awesome person, so maybe people just want to get to know you more. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not bad. I'm going to be posting a pretty good picture of a big stack of French toast I made uh, on Instagram <laughs> here in the upcoming days, so be on the lookout for that. 
So yeah, nonprofit <laughs> and French toast. That's kind of what I got going on right now. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, thank you so much yeah. for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate all the time. <laughs> and um, trial and error always makes greater products. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Glad to do it again. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, definitely at the end. Like Yeah, for sure. At, like when everything, like when it comes out and stuff. We should definitely do it every year. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Sweet. I'll go into like a little more spoily, spoiler-y stuff. Right. Yeah, because you can actually give stuff away. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs>